Please fill in where the tablecloths are. Thank you. Right. Uh, let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this day. This is the day you have made. We rejoice. Thank you for allowing us to gather once again for another First Friday. Thank you for Dennis. And Lord, um, we thank you for his uh, willingness to speak this morning. And God, we ask you to now guide our, his talk and our conversation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, I want to start off by saying that it will definitely be a conversation. It will definitely be interactive. So please prepare yourselves to be involved. There will be an activity toward the beginning um, that will involve us moving around. There's like a weird sound zone right here. Um, so I... Thank Pastor Brooks for inviting me and for opening us up with prayer. Um, once we get everyone seated down, we're, we're going to have um, everyone introduce themselves so that we know who we're talking to. Um, in the meantime, I do also want to say that this is a topic that I am very passionate about and a very a big topic for me. Sit down. The idea of race race and faith and how we provide care is important. It's not a problem that I have the solution to. If I had the solution, I'd be on a book tour instead of heading to a clinic later on today. Um, and it's not a problem that we have solved as a, as a people, as a nation um, in all of these years. So it's not one that's going to be solved in this room. So just prepare yourselves um, to talk about it, to think about how you are feeling about these things how you're feeling about your patients as you're serving them, how you're feeling about yourself as you walk through a world that is informed by what your skin looks like and what the skin of the people around you looks like. So um, I also want to start with some ground rules. Because we're going to be having an open dialogue, we want it to be a safe space. Um, so for conversations like this, I'd like to use um, five different rules. and. Uh, those, the first one is participation, and that involves staying present and staying focused. Um, either be actively talking or actively listening at all times. Uh, the next one is respect. You want to speak to others the way that you want them to speak to you, and you want to make sure that only one person is talking at a time. You also want to have integrity, and that's integrity for you and the integrity of those around you, and that means that you uh, want to you want to keep what's said confidential so that people can feel free to share openly. And you also want to assume that everyone has good intentions. Uh, conversations like this always involve a certain amount of judgment of yourself, of others. So you want to assume that anything that's shared here is shared in the right spirit. Uh, also, there's diversity. You want to make sure that you are open to ideas that you don't agree with because there will be some of those shared here, hopefully. And also, you want to assume that you don't know everything, that there's room for you to learn. And the last one is excellence. Um, and that involves being OK, being uncomfortable. Uh, because there's a difference between being uncomfortable, uncomfortable and unsafe. Uh, in this room, I'm hoping that we all, at some point, will be uncomfortable, but that the space is still safe for everyone to share and feel open. 
Um, and then always uh, strive to be your best. Strive to be working toward the glory of God. So now that everyone's seated, we will have introductions. Um, so why don't we start with this table? So I want to I want you as you're introducing yourself to say your name, and say how you describe your race or ethnicity. Hi, my name is Jeff Cope. Uh, I actually work with Crew and CMDA. Uh, I describe myself as white. I'm Brendan of Family Medicine at Lawndale, and I would say I'm European American. I'm Alex Port. I'm Family Medicine also at Lawndale, and I'm white. I'm Elizabeth Lucian, and I'm in the Behavioral Health Department, and I'm black. I'm Kara Hayden. I'm from California. I'm with Maine. So, internal medicine, Asian American. Uh, Young Kim, Asian, Korean. Bruce Miller, white, and I'll go with the kids in German too. <laughs> Carl Brooks, Caucasian. James Brooks, black. Uh, Dennis Bourne, and black. And occasionally I um, explore my different roots, and I'll be Nigerian and Italian. And Um, so as we start off, thank you all for introducing yourselves. I want to give you some facts that can kind of frame our conversation. Um, first comes from a 1990 statement of the American Medical Association. Disparities in treatment decisions may reflect the existence of subconscious bias. The healthcare system, like all other entities of our society, has not fully eradicated this racial prejudice. Next one comes from the Institute of Medicine, a 2003 study, and it frames out uh, some facts about racial and ethnic disparities. First of all, they exist and are associated with worse health outcomes. Secondly, they occur in the context of broader historic and contemporary social and economic equality or inequality. Third, they are possible con the possible contributors are the health systems, healthcare providers, patients, and utilizations. Third, they may reflect bias stereotyping, prejudice, and clinical uncertainty on the part of healthcare providers. Thirdly, they cannot be fully explained by differences in treatment refusal rates, which have been found to be slightly higher in racial and ethnic minority patients. Um, in 2011, Georgia State University did a study that showed that patients who are non-Hispanic black are almost twice as likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, 
but significantly less likely to receive medication for it than patients who are non-Hispanic whites. Uh, next, there's a 2013 study by Penn State University that says, when controlling for other predictors among children exhibiting the same symptoms, Hispanic children were 50% less likely, American, African-American children are 69% less likely, and children of other races are 46% less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than white children. And additionally, white children with ADHD were about two to three times more likely to be taking medication for, this, for their disorder than children of all ethnic minority backgrounds. Uh, 2015, there is a Boston University Medical Center study that says a patient's race or ethnicity may influence the amount and type of information that they receive from physicians regarding their treatment recommendations. 2018, uh, U of C, Pritzker School of Medicine study shows that American clinicians rated white patients as significantly more likely to improve and more likely to adhere to recommended treatments than black patients and to be more personally responsible for their health than black patients. 2018, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality study shows that blacks received worse care for whites for about 40% of quality measures. And Hispanics received worse care than whites for about 35% of all uh, quality measures. And thank you to Young for this next step. Um, and also to Dr. Sanders, who's not here. Um, so among our uh, physicians, 48.9% are white. Among our patients, 3.3% are white. Um, among our physicians, 21.3% are black. Among our patients, 39.4% are black. Among our physicians, 6.4% are Hispanic. Among our patients, 52.2% are Hispanic. Among our physicians, 27.7% are Asian. And among our patients, 0.9% uh, are Asian. And this is out of uh, 44 physicians, um, not including our um, PAs and NPs. And for the patients, it's out of 67,000 patients seen in the last two years. Um, so that gives you an idea of the landscape that we're working with. So we are gonna start this morning off with an activity, get you guys moving around. Um, so I'm gonna ask everyone to move over into the open section and let's put your hands stand in a row. Diagnosed as 
spoken in your household for one of them. I think they're taking one step back. If you were born in the United States, take one step forward. If your parents were never married or have never gone through a separation of divorce, take one step back. If you felt like you had adequate access to healthy food growing up, take If you are reasonably sure that you would be hired for a job based on your ability and qualifications, take one step forward. If you would never think twice about calling the police when trouble occurs, take one step forward. If you have ever had adequate access, I'm sorry, if you felt like you had, uh, if you can see a doctor whenever you feel the need, take one step forward. If you feel comfortable, being emotionally expressive and open, take one step forward. If you have ever been the only person of your race, gender, or socioeconomic status in a classroom or workplace setting, take one step back. If you get time off for your religious holidays, take one step forward. If you had a job during your high school and college years, Ever travel outside the United States, take one step forward. If you've ever felt like there was not adequate or accurate representation of your racial group in the media, take one step back. If you feel confident that your parents would, able to, would be able to financially help or support you if you were going through financial hardship, take one step forward. If you've ever been bullied or made fun of based on something you can't change, take one step forward. There were more than 50 books in your house growing up. Take one step forward. If you could buy new clothes or go out to dinner when you want to, take one step forward. If you were ever offered a job because of your association with a friend or family member, take one step forward. If one of your parents was ever laid off or unemployed, not by choice, take one step forward. Parents or guardians attended college take one step forward. <laughs> so from where you are, kind of take a look around and see who's around you, who's in front of you, who's behind you. exercise with care providers. I would also redo the entire exercise with you imagining that you are one of your patients. We don't have time for that today, but I want you to think about that. So what did it feel like to do that exercise? Or what came to mind? Some of the questions you asked, I had never really thought of before. Like, observed about myself or others, or differentiated myself from another person. But it made me realize that people have different experiences. Yeah. Uh, what's an example of one that stood out to you? 50 books. Yeah. 
other people. Has your value of men out at the end when you said to look around and have like a perception? And I felt so awkward just being in the back and like, because I don't like always think of that. Yeah. Other thoughts? It gets uncomfortable. It's no fun to be in the front. to me because I, I grew up with a mother who was a kindergarten teacher, so we had a house full of books and full of learning, and I don't think about what a privilege that is. I think some of the ones about like, you know, how you grew up did different things like that, because I was studying with a patient this week, who was just kind of like, I was born into this life. Like, it's so hard for me to even think, like, featured and wanting to do all these things which school talks about, because I've never seen anybody that has gone there before.
Why do you think that activity is part of this conversation? I think it helps us think about things that we may not otherwise pay attention to. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, I've been here a long time, and I've, I've got a wide spectrum of patients, and some of whom I think would be towards the front, and, and many of whom would be yeah. in the middle or towards the back. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You can't always just you can't always figure out which ones are would be where. Yeah. On first impressions. I think it calls out that there's a racial difference in privilege. Like you can ignore it all you want, but when you're standing there and you see the racial differences right in front of you, you can't ignore it experiences 
that our patients have. And all these privileges directly impact the quality of your life, and almost all of them indirectly impact the quality of um, our patients' health outcomes. So at the beginning, I, I read some statements about being impeached, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the whole statement about ASD and how um, children of, of color, black and brown children, uh, are more likely to receive that diagnosis and also less likely to, you know, get medication if they do get it, but uh, it's something that I hear all the time, particularly for parents who are disappointed because they put their kids on the bus to go to some selective enrollment school and uh, they witness the same behavior in other children when they're at the school and they're rambunctious. But they're getting called all the time mm -hmm. saying that they better get some medicine for their kid or they're gonna have to go to a different school. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff. How do you all think that uh, your race impacts the way that you provide care to your patients? To work a little extra hard to get rapport first with people, then if somebody from the exact same background is here. I think over the years I've learned to ask more questions try to make fewer assumptions. It doesn't always work real well. Yeah. I think part of that is the baggage carried by people's encounters, previous encounters. So <clears throat> patients kind of make assumptions about you as a white person based on their previous encounters, which have largely been, no, mostly, sometimes been so, and also kind of in a, in a, almost like an authority type of a figure type of a thing. But on the other hand, sometimes you can use that white privilege to barge in and do something <laughs> you know, that may be helpful eventually for the patient. patients, but as a CEO, I think as a white CEO, it often, it's a place of insecurity because you feel like you're probably screwing up on something you can't see. Always there.
think all of us certainly have come from different backgrounds and uh, all uh, combined with all of our different skill sets and experiences. But, uh, but I think what can, what has and, and can and going forward will sustain our, our ability to, to really care for the patients here is our faith. Because there's so many other things that we, we hear, the statistics here, um, and, and you know, just the fact that some of us here are, are minorities, but um, I think, and I, and I think I don't discount all those important questions that include the socioeconomics of the, the dynamics and so forth, but I think that what really sustains us every day is our faith in Christ. And, and the scriptures really guide us every day through this and through our conversations with our patients. I think that really has to be, to be honest, and I've, I've failed a lot in, in the end of every visit, just bringing the faith question up, but just we really have to be more intentional about realizing that our faith is really what brought, has brought us here and what sustains our presence here and going forward. Because uh, we're kind of all Christians here, right? And so we're all guided by a, a, a document that we can agree upon its principles and its and its and its experiences that it's taught us, and so and it helps us to see that it's beyond what our human understanding can lead us to to realize. Yeah. I'll say put a pin in that because we're going to talk about that a lot more fully in a few minutes. But thank you. No, I think I, I think both expressions of faith can be very different for different people, different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I'm just glad you brought up the language barriers that. Learning German in high school wasn't uh, helpful for me. German-speaking <laughs> patients. Um, so when I have the Spanish-speaking patients or the Cantonese or Mandarin, and, and it's extra level of, of leading, I'm going to check myself not getting frustrated that the language line isn't working or just taking a lot longer or more patients are piling up, and, and how do I check myself and not get frustrated but being able to make sure that I'm great that Yeah, I took Latin, so I did, into play? I mean, yeah, I mean, we're talking about cultural competence. It's really important to realize that it does take effort, it does take extra time for even a provider to try to learn a foreign language on the job. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I was in Chinese background, but I tried to learn a little bit more Chinese, more than I normally knew. I learned Korean on the mission field, because even though I was at a relatively older age than most missionaries who started out. Then coming here, I've had to brush up on the Spanish. Um, all because, again, the faith that, that we have to, to be, like Paul said, to be Christ to everyone of every race so that we can win them over. And so, um, again, the, the faith factor is what really is important here because we're here about bringing people to Christ through the skills and experiences and backgrounds and difficult backgrounds that some of us have. Thank you. 
say for me, it's a double-edged sword um, in terms of how race affects how I provide care to my patients. Many of them are African-American like I am. And so that trust is, is there, but it's also um, an honor and a privilege that I have to remember not to um, take for granted. And so I know that my patients are trusting me and I know that there's been a lot of distrust in general of the medical community. So for example, when HPV vaccine first came out, um, I knew that they were looking to me and trusting me and so I had to make sure that I was doing many courses and really reading up on it um, and understanding without pushing back when it first came out, if it's so important that we have this, why aren't the insurances covering it for the kids in Naperville? Why are, why are all the public aid patients able to get it first? Um, and I had to understand it and, and respect that. Um, and, you know, so, but also understanding that sometimes in the community when we own businesses, we're not the most uh, professional and so some African-Americans feel like if you're black, you're not as good as the white uh, provider. And so, you know, there are times when I'll see a patient and they'll say, well, my doctor said this. And first of all, their provider's not a physician and they've told them a hundred times that they're not. And secondly, they've probably consulted with me about that child. And I was the one who actually told them what to do, but for the follow-up, they, you know, well, this is what my doctor said, and you're you know, not a person of color. So just um, understanding where that comes from, and um, just relying on the Holy Spirit to, to help me not to make assumptions or encourage them to, you know, that there's, yeah, you're in good hands, and yeah, that was a good idea they had, even though I know where it came from. So it's a, it's a double edged sword. What are some examples of biases that you have about your patients as they come in? Honestly, I kind of assume everyone has trauma, um, which in other settings I wouldn't assume. Yeah. Other examples of biases that you have? I think we have to sometimes be careful about um, like overreacting with surprise. Um, like when they said, oh, well, my, uh, my daughter's going to Princeton. It's like, oh, that's great. Rather, really? I can't believe You know, it's like, <laughs> well, 
of course, you know. So, so I think that, you know, that's one, you know, one part, I think, a part of it is our great surprise is that it's even possible for your daughter to be going to Princeton. And so, you know, that, that reveals a lot about your assumptions. Yeah. So how can we address the impact of, of racism and bias in our care and the care that we provide to our patients? Well, one way is just to have the humility to learn because some patients are very vocal. And if they feel like you blew them off or you, you know, were different with them, they'll let you know. Uh, and rather than assuming that they're just having you know, a moment, um, there's some truth in even that. And it happens with, with all of us. Yeah. You know, just learning from that or talking from that. Yeah. I think sometimes just also addressing the elephant in the room. Like I was sitting with a black patient, but um, definitely we have social, different socioeconomic and like he was like telling it, you don't understand because you don't, you didn't probably have to go through it. And I was like, you're right, like I don't understand. But I would like to hear, you know, about what it was like for you. So I guess that's also what she said, having humility, but also addressing it. So those are two um, perfect statements. that I was going to put out there and what I what I have learned from from Jesus is exactly that that idea of honesty and humility um, so often as Americans as educated people um, as privileged people um, we want to to be colorblind and we want to pretend that that race doesn't exist as a construct for us and that we're going to love everyone the same and that we're going to everyone is equal, um, but that I do not believe is what the Bible or Christ or God has demonstrated. Um, you have um, in Psalm 139 David talking about the idea that God, um, that God knit him in his mother's womb, and you have in Luke 12 this idea that the numbers I do not believe that the same God who knit me by hand and who is counting my hairs even as they fall out <laughs> would have me or anyone else to pretend that the largest organ on my body was not intentionally pigmented by him and that that doesn't matter. Um, that he didn't intend for me to be black so that I could reflect his image. 
I don't believe that he would have us to pretend that our patients are not impacted by the pigmentation that he's placed in their skin and how that's impacted their experiences. And so I would challenge us all, kind of like you said, Elizabeth, to let race matter and acknowledge the way that it matters for us and for them and their lives. And I believe that I know that as I read um, about Jesus as a healer um, in his experiences with people of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities and religions, he brought that into the conversation. When he was talking to the woman at the well, he, it came up that she was a Samaritan and he leaned into that discussion of the way that Samaritans worshiped and how that impacted her experience. And when he is, when he was approached by um, the centurion, the Roman centurion, about healing that centurion's servant, he brought up the idea that this is a Roman, that this is a person of a different faith and a different background, and that it was significant to, the, to their interaction. When um, the Canaanite woman comes and asks that her child is healed of the demon, he brings up that she's a Canaanite and calls, and essentially like compares her to a dog so for Jesus and these interactions as a healer, he's bringing up race and ethnicity and faith. And so we can't pretend as healers, co-healers with him, that these things don't matter. And we have to be brave enough, like Jesus, to let them be in the room and let that matter. And I feel like we can't shy away from same time, like you mentioned, we have to be humble. The same way that Jesus practiced radical meekness. Um, as all-powerful and all-knowing, he still was a servant. He's still washing feet, and he's still submitting to authority. And he's still asking questions and challenging people in a way that is loving, and we have to do the same thing. And we have to say that we don't know everything. We still have to walk into rooms where patients are coming to us to benefit from our privilege of access to knowledge and research and information and still understand that when we are presenting them with treatment recommendations that they get to be the expert on how our recommendations fit into their life. We cannot say that one size fits all and we have to be able to collaborate with them on how we provide them care, knowing that they know best what's going on in their bodies. They know best what's going on in their homes. They know best what's, what they're putting into their body, good and bad, um, and see them as also subject matter experts that we're working with. Um, and also help understand from them, like Elizabeth said, um, how their experiences affect who they've become and what is happening with them. we have to own that there are some limitations to the knowledge that we have, to what we've learned, to our training. Because we absolutely have to, um, to be research and evidence informed. But while we consider empiricism to be this sort of neutral thing, it's not. Every research study that I cited is impacted by the race of the person who was doing 
and impacted by the race of the people that they were doing the research on. Um, you mentioned all the, the testing that's done of medication and the, the biases that go into that. A lot of psychological studies are done on college students, and that's a very self-selective population and a very racially biased population. So this information is not neutral, and we cannot present it to our patients as if it's neutral. Um, so we have to understand the limitations of these things and be humble about them. Um, for example, um, if a patient comes to me and says that they're having trouble sleeping, um, my advice often is that they do not uh, just lay in bed for an infinite amount of time until they fall asleep, that they would lay in bed for 15 to 20 minutes and then get out of bed and go into a different room and uh, engage in some sort of relaxing activity like reading until they feel tired and then return to bed. So thinking about that advice, um, how many different assumptions can you think of that are contained in that advice? That they have a bed. That they have a bed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's more than one room in the place that they yes. live in. Exactly. Exactly. to get out of bed on their own, to move around a space on their own, um, that they have electricity, to have light at night in order to be able to read, that they can read. Like there are all these different things and as I've given this advice to different patients, I've been challenged on that. I've had patients say, I don't read very well. Or there's someone sleeping in the living room, the only other room in the house. Um, and so I'm not saying that you don't give that advice because that's the advice that, that's the standard advice. Um, but that you give it with humility, and you give it asking about the practicality of how it applies to their patients. Um, the same thing has happened when I've had patients who are working on increasing physical activity. I'll often recommend that, um, that they increase walking. They might walk outside of their home, or they might take a different route to their home from their school. And I had one patient say, the route that I take is the only safe route. <laughs> so you have to think about how the advice that you're giving is impacted by the racial and social realities of their lives, and not just how sound it is based on research or, or evidence. And that's the humility that you have to take, and the humility that you have to learn from Jesus in the way that he practiced healing and, and medicine. So we are running out of time, and so I want to just kind of wrap up and say that, like you said, um, it, it does come back to our faith. It does come back to the fact that we are not doing this alone, that we are co-healers with the Holy Spirit. And nothing that we do, um, nothing that we do can be done without that, including loving our patients including loving Christ as we love others. It's done through the Holy Spirit. And so relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on, on our honesty, on our humility um, that Christ modeled to provide compassionate and appropriate care to our patients. So thank you very much for your time. As a checkout, um, I'm going to ask each of us to say in one word how they're feeling going back into the rest of their day. It can be related to this and not related to this. It's just a check out. 
So why don't we start on this side? So just one word about how you're feeling going back into the rest of your day. Um, reflective. Energized. Reflective sounds great. say tired. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you for this day and for this hour. Um, I thank you that you have called each of us to, to live out a part of your identity as a healer and that you have gifted us with the people that you placed in our care. I pray, Lord God, that we will serve them and serve you with a heart of worship experiencing bias and causing others to experience bias and that you will help us to be honest with us, that you will hold up a mirror to us, Lord God, and show us both you and us in a way that is truthful um, and, and that truth will set us free, Lord God, to live more, um, more worthy and more honest lives and that we can be an example to our patients a day that you remind us why you called us to this work and that you will pour back into us everything that we pour out. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you guys for coming.